When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. My guest today is my friend, Billy Kemper. Billy Kemper is a world-famous big wave world champion. Going again, saying world twice. Sorry. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. My guest today is my friend, Billy Kemper. That didn't flow. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. And my guest today is big wave world champion and my friend, Billy Kemper. You know Billy from his incredible big wave surfing, but now we're going to talk to Billy and learn so much more, how he recovered from literally a death-defying accident, not even knowing, never mind if he would surf again, but walk again in the ways that he really wants to as a person and as an athlete. And he shares his story of loss. His brother died when he was very young. He had a single mother, but also how he grew up very quickly when meeting his wife Then he was 21 years old and what taking on a family and then creating more family has done for him in compassion, motivation, drive, and overall just making Billy such a special man. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Gabby Reese Show. It's all an experiment. Hello, Ma. the earth away, Gabby. Billy Kemper. Gabby Reese. Thanks for coming Upstairs. Yeah, it's been I, a long, long mission to get here. Yeah, no kidding. We're yeah. going to get into that. So a year, well, it's interesting. So we, we didn't really, I mean, you've been in our sphere, but Laird and I are older than you, and we don't run in the same worlds, even though we're connected by a million people. And then last year, um, when you got injured, we had the, unfortunately, from unfortunate circumstances, had the opportunity to spend real time with you. And uh, it was an interesting event that, you know, brought you into our lives or us into, it probably brought us into your lives, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. So I want to give people context. You have a documentary. It's called Billy. I encourage people to watch it. And uh, they can get sort of a, a full range story. Um, because I'm not going to spend tons of time, but maybe you could just give some context to um, 
some really important things that I, I believe obviously have helped, you know, sort of shaped who you are, which is starting with that you, I, I feel like you being a little brother <laughs> to Eric was something that was really powerful to you. For sure. You know, I think it's something that a lot of people can relate to is like you have that person. I mean, whether it's your brother or somebody in your life that's older than you, that, you know, every kid wants to be someone. And it's whether you want to be a superhero or you want to be your older brother. There's always that person that holds that spot in your heart. And for me, it was my brother. You know, luckily, he was at the forefront of amateur surfing, you know, with guys like Andy Irons, Bruce Irons. And that being said, at that time and era of where I was, I was living in Hawaii. I was born being raised on this island of Maui. And my brother was the king of amateur surfing. And that was all I dreamed about, all I thought about, all I wrote about. It was me wanting to be my older brother. And I just had this leadership and these footsteps to follow that were just so unique and in a radical way, not in like an easy, like, (laughs) I want to be a baseball player, this, that, and nothing against any of that. My brother was just a ferocious little pit bull. And like, I thought it was so cool, whether he was fighting in the water, defending himself, spearing a huge fish, or just destroying people in competition. He had this fire that I was obsessed with. And that was, um, you know, just being 10 years younger, my other brother, 12 years older than me, I was, I was a bottom feeder and I was always trying to keep up. You know, I was always just like fall down. It's okay. I'm going to get back up and keep trying to keep up with them. And I think that really groomed who I was, you know, it groomed me in my generation and in my network and group of friends having, you know, Albie Lair and Matt Miola and Kai Barger, Dusty Payne, all these guys, you know, there were, the talent was untouchable in surfing with them. And I didn't have maybe some of the things they had, but what I had was a, a vision that might've been a little more rugged and a little more rough. Mm-hmm. And that made things just, um, that much sweeter for me growing up and, you know, kind of navigating my own ship at a young age. It kind of, it was just set differently, you know, as anyone who's watched or will see in my documentary series, I lost my brother when I was eight years old. And, you know, that's like at that age, you really, you're depending on the people you look up to. And when that person's taken out of the situation, you almost feel lost. And, my brother Carl at this point wasn't, he wasn't what I wanted to be, right. but like not saying it in a bad way. No, I get it. We just had different outlooks on life, mm-hmm. but he was somebody who helped groom and keep me on a track that maybe, you know, I was, I was in the middle of so much, so much going on from all every direction. So let's back it up. When you say maybe that the other surfers had these things that you didn't have, just, you know, for the audience, explain what you mean. Because I think people think, oh, you grew up in Hawaii by the water. You surf. Yeah. (laughs) It's weird, you know, in surfing, growing up with dark hair in Hawaii, being a heavier set kid, not being blonde hair, blue eyed, and a skinny little kid surfing, it was hard for me to get sponsored. On the side, I wasn't surfing at the level they were. I just, in all honesty, I wasn't. And my 
appreciation and my my courage to push myself in surfing didn't come from competing in small waves like they were. I was starting to find something um, different. And what's you know funny that me and you are talking about this and here was I can remember like the turning point of where I found kind of what I wanted to do was like a kid in LA going to the Dodgers stadium and watching these guys play ball. Like he's going to take his mitt. This kid's eight years old. He's going to take his mitt and hope for a pop fly ball and he's going to catch it. Where when I was six, seven, eight years old, I would go to these cliffs off the coastline of Haiku on Maui off the pineapple fields where this wave Jaws was located. And at this point it was, you know, 95, 96, 97. There was a group of guys, one of them being your husband, mm-hmm. the the pioneer of it, who were in my time of being a child were real life superheroes. You know, Laird, Derek Donner, Dave Kalama, yep. Buzzy Kerbox. There's a list of these guys. Pete yep. Carino, all of them. They were Spider Man, Batman, Superman. Like that's who these guys were to me. Like truly, I like looked at, you know, Laird flying down the face of these waves on. You know, at this point, equipment that looked stupid. Like, what are they doing? But when you say stupid, just like it, what's the point of that board? It just didn't. It just looked crazy. Like they were, they were trying and testing in situations now where we're surviving. It's it was different. Right. They wrote the book. So when you see this, because Laird often says big wave riders are made, they're they're not. Fr- they're not developed. Like it's something inside of you. Yeah. So what you're saying is maybe you had these sort of, in your mind, more nimble kind of, you know, competitive surfers, and maybe you didn't fit this this mold exactly, and then somehow, because was your brother really into very large waves? Yeah. Like okay. I, I can so, remember like things of him saying like. You know, up until this point, no one had won the Eddie Cal from Maui. Nobody had, hadn't even been invited that was a born and raised surfer from Maui into mm-hmm. the Eddie. So it was like there was this prestige of me wanting to do things that he would talk about. Like there was just this hunger. And I think that was something like obviously the competitive thing was one thing. But once the wave started getting heavier and bigger and people said you can't do this and you shouldn't do that, that's where I found this little thrive of like I can't. And, you know, that being said, I was a troublemaker growing up. I was not a well-behaved kid, and I think that was part of it. You know, you slap the kid on the wrist and you say you can't do it, and he's going to go around the corner and do it. And that was kind of my situation growing up and seeing this and telling my parents, hey, I wanna, I'm want i going to do it, Laird, and both Buzzy and Dave are doing. Mm-hmm. They'd be like, yeah, right, you're not going to do that. That's not safe. You're going to kill yourself. And I was like, well, they're doing it, so I'm going to do it. <laughs> like, I wanted to do it because these people were doing something that nobody else is allowed to do. No one else can do it. Do you think more of that feature sort of came out in you if, once your brother actually passed away? Do you think it sort of woke up something in you that... I don't want to say it's reckless, because I know a lot of people like this. And what you learn, it's it's the, it's the your one of your special qualities that if... This per, if the individual can find a positive place to put it, it's the gift. It's the as long as you you know you say either the rocket goes to the moon or it flies and gets shoved into the mountain, right? So there's obviously some of it. Yes, your brother's impacted you, but do you think that in a way 
he was sort of radical, so he took that space a little bit in the family. And then when he passed, did that give you, and Carl is so calm, your oldest brother, did, did that sort of wake that up in you a little bit? Yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, aside from all that, my parents were going through one of the nastiest, I mean, divorces I've ever, let alone be a part of, but witness. It it it, it was somewhere where I could kind of just disconnect. And like, it, it was just me. And I, I honestly felt alone. But I like being, feeling alone at that point in my life. And I'm not, I'm, when I was eight, nine, 10 years old, I'm not surfing Jaws. I'm just surfing and I'm surfing. I wanted to go out when the other kids didn't want to go out because I just, I felt like, I don't know, I just felt safer or like I just felt stronger being alone in conditions I wasn't comfortable with because it was so new and I was so used to like things happening and knowing this is going to happen with my mom or my dad and after my brother, like I just, I liked being alone, as Mm -hmm. weird as that sounded. And as a young kid wanting to surf a little bigger and heavier waves, I can remember Matt Miola being like, I'm not going out there like you're crazy, like little things like that. And it just, uh, it propelled me to kind of go more and just get more interested and learn more about it. And, you know, and then having people like Laird and Double D and these guys be kind of like uncles to me, I just, I could ask them anything. Mm-hmm. And they'd tell me like the truth. These guys were, they were, they were straight, you know, they right. told it, they did it, how it was, how they, you know, there was no bullshit. There's no cutting corners. And I remember like, I remember telling Double D like, I'm going to be the youngest surfer ever to surf Jaws. And he's like, why? And he, and I was like, because I want to. And he's like, you'll surf Jaws when you're ready to surf Jaws. And I was like, okay, I don't care what the fuck that means, mm-hmm. you know? And then fast forward time, you know, there's kids who surfed it younger than me. But I, you know, when he told me that, like, you'll surf it when you're ready, I really took that into consideration. And I watched, you know, I watched the way Laird and these guys would train on Baldwin Beach. And training was not normal in surfing. It was like, ew, like, why are you touching weights? Why are you doing fitness? Like, Mm -hmm. Aren't surfers a bunch of, like, hippie stoner Stoners. surfers, like, who just hang at the beach in a van and just, like, woohoo all day? And then you see these guys with, like, harnessing a, you know, a 10-foot log, and they're dragging it across a three-mile beach in the beaming hot sun in the summer, and then they're paddling upwind and torturing themselves, like, putting themselves through pain. Why are they doing it? Because they're preparing themselves for something that, you know, they they knew it wasn't something they could walk into. It was something that they had to be ready for. And that kind of, it all turned into like this snowball effect when Double D really told me that of like, when you're ready, you're ready. And I just felt my whole like pre-teens, teenage years just moving into like, am I ready? Am I ready? And everything I did from working my way up the, the totem pole of the North Shores and the Outer Reefs and all that, like it really made... It made not only big waves, but it made Piahi so special to me. And I think that's something that, like, I can relate or I have so much interest with Laird of, like, it not being just the wave. It's it's something more than that. 
it's um you know it's part of our life like it really is like we're part of its life i should say you know mm-hmm. it's like yeah we're we're both married we both have kids but like we can both be honest with each other and that place you know that place we want we want to respect it and like nourish it more than anything in the world because the second you kind of you know you get caught up with it it's it's just something it's really hard to explain what that place does and i think seeing you know seeing someone like laird and how his life has revolved you know it's like the earth spins but like what is piahi what is jaws doing you know mm-hmm. it's like it's always it, you're always moving you're kind of drafting this place you want to just like study it ups downs highs lows wherever you're at in life you really ever i gauge my life off of how i like off of that place i really do does it when you say that besides you know oh is it up is it down and i think people don't have a surfers might certainly big wave surfers do they don't the amount of waiting that a, a big wave rider does, I don't think people can really... There, In certain ways, you we I've come to really appreciate the level of patience that a big wave rider has because it's like you said, you have to be prepared, you have to be ready, you don't know when. It's a little bit like a fireman, you know, except they hope the fire doesn't come and you hope, it, you know, sh- the waves do come. And so I always found that, that so interesting where certain winters... Maybe it's only up like two, three days a year, but you got to be ready. And then maybe you're blessed with other winters where, you know, maybe it's an El Nino or the low pressures or whatever, and, and it's happening quite a bit. What's still quite a bit, people don't realize how many days. Like, it's you can literally say, is it 15 days is, a, is an incredible winter? You know, something like that. And yes, maybe you're going north and south hemisphere and things like that, but I'm talking about the real days. That's actually pretty unusual. So... You go out for the first time. Do you guys launch out of Maliko? Yes. Who takes you? What's the first day? Who are you with? Day one, Jaws. And where's your mother, by the way? 16 years old. Mom's, mom's <laughs> on... I eight, knew yeah, mom's on Oahu on the North Shore. When I was eight years old, we just rehomed, got away from Maui and uh-huh. what she had lost as my older brother and kind of just restarted a life there. And, you know, my friends and my dad stayed on Maui. I was back and forth and I was actually going to high school King K it was 2006 I was 16 years old and I think I want to say it was Valentine's Day and oh myself Matt Miola Albie Lair and Marlon Lewis oh wow basically had pitched in and bought a jet ski and we had towed a few days at like the outer reefs in Kuau and all these little, you know, outer sprecks, these kind of warm up places. And, you know, we're like gun ho, like next Jaws. So two teams there. splitting a ski? Yeah, four, okay. four kids. Mm-hmm. Just think of that, all right? Four mm-hmm. kids on one horse. <laughs> and, um, you know, we were, we're learning, we're making our way, but we really, you know, we're just taking it day by day. And I, I look back at it now and I really, I see. Double D, I see Laird, I see Dave Kalama. Like, I see them just like, does this work? Does that work? Oh, yeah, this don't talk. I'm going to throw a life jacket on. This is going to pop me up, you know? Like, we're really just, like, learning on the fly. Did you ever suck the line 
into the impeller? Hundreds of times. Yep. Yeah, we've, we made every mistake. We flipped the ski. We did it all. And at this point, we were like, we weren't confident in towing each other into out at Jaws at Piahi. But we were like, me and Albi especially, we're like, we're ready. Like somebody tow me in. To ride. See, the other thing people have to realize is it, to have the ability to to be towed into is one thing, but the also the other ability to tow someone to in and pick them up, yeah. God forbid anything goes wrong, Yeah, this is a real skill set. Yeah, we're 16 years old. I'm looking at Albie like, you're not eligible of whipping me, like towing me into a 60-foot wave and then me falling and you driving 10 feet away from a 500-foot cliff with 20-foot walls of water breaking against it to save my life. Like, I'm looking at Albie, and he's like, yeah, no, I'm not grabbing you. Hell no. And we're like, our jet ski, you know, four grand, a grand each, like, no chance, you know? Right. So we, without telling our parents, went out to Jaws, skipped school, went out there on this jet ski. When you're going out, are you... What's in, What's inside you? What's like, uh, what, what are you thinking? You know, at this point, me and Albie were so competitive that it was just like, mm. I'm getting a bigger one. You're like, <clears throat> we wanted it so bad. We just wanted this. We like had surfed all these waves. You know, we were starting to travel. I had been to Tahiti a handful of times. I'd surfed Chopo. I'd surfed Waimea. And I was like, all right, like this wave is my backyard. Like it's time. Like I'm ready. Parents said, hell no, you're never allowed to surf out there. I'm meanwhile going upwind. We launch out of this little, this little tiny ranky-dank harbor thing. No dock, nothing. And that actual day, it was just me, Albie, and Matt. And we get up. We drive up 30 minutes up the coast, upwind, and we get to Jaws. And it was just beautiful, 40 to 60-foot faces, you know, trade winds, just a typical perfect Hall of Fame day at Jaws at Piahi. And we're looking around and we're just like basically hitchhiking. Like yeah. we both had our tow boards, had our, our life jackets on and we're just like, come on, somebody give me a whip, give me a ride. And, you know, finally. What uncle becomes the first one to be willing to. Yeah, exactly. Because it's a big responsibility. It really is. And I think they just like, they seen, there was not. It, you couldn't stop us. It was like, yeah, all right, all we right. better keep our eye on these. Yeah, guys. let's make sure somebody eligible and willing yeah. is driving these kids. And who went it, first? I don't know who went first. I think we both got on skis kind of at the same time. Mm -hmm. And you know, I don't. I I remember surfing that day. I don't. I remember one wave in particular, and I just remember the feeling of like feeling like a, a dropping into a wave was never going to end where like every other time in my life I've surfed it's you know you're so like boom then the wave's done where this was like the one time I felt like I let go of a tow rope and it was just like you're in this flow state like I this is where the first time I think I ever understood or like felt like everything in life had been blocked out and that was something I'd been I think looking or just searching for my whole life and especially my childhood of just like trying to not really having, I shouldn't say hide, but just like places to block things out, whether it's fear, pressure, anxiety, you know, anger, everything. It, this was like, I found where I felt comfortable and it was when I was the most uncomfortable. 
and that was that was this and I just like I remember my dad yelling at me so hard that night like just losing it freaking out and I was just like sitting there with a grin on my face like happier than any Christmas morning I found I found where I belong and that was the start of yeah that was the start of what I wanted to do with my life is is the belong in Yes, I understand the connection with the ocean because it's a real thing. I've seen it with a lot of people. And by the way, people who are not professional surfers, just people who the ocean calls them, and that's a real thing. And they can be from the Midwest, and they knew, hey, I'm going to get out there. But was is the calling beyond the ocean, is it the all-consuming? Is that what you needed? Is it the... You have no opportunity, you have no choice but just to be in this now. Yeah, it was, for me, it was just like kind of not knowing where to go growing up. Yeah. There's so much distractions, you know, good and bad, so much. And a lot of the good, I just couldn't find my place there. Like, I just couldn't figure it out. You know, I'd come to California I'd compete at the NSSA Nationals and I'd lose in the semis or the quarters and I'm seeing my friends sign contracts, six-figure contracts at 16 years old. You know, my friends are the biggest, you know, junior surfers in the world. World champion, the Kai Barger, like literally yep. first world junior champion from Maui. And I don't have a sticker on my board. I'm not winning contests. Yeah, I would get there randomly. I'd get a win or I'd get this and... I was so competitive that just losing that much and not getting the reward of winning, I was just like kind of just caught up. Like, where am I? Kind of lost. Mm. And this was just finding this was, I, I finally felt like I could, no, it wasn't that I could, I could win, but I could find I could find where I could grow. I could find, I found something where I was like so happy to wake, like wake up and learn and study and ask questions, just figure, figure things out. I was like this huge puzzle that I like found the key piece to where mm -hmm. I was like, this is it. Like I can finish this. So, so let's fast forward a little. From that moment, approximately, you know, 10, 11 years, you become a big wave world champion, Yeah. which is, you know, at that age, it's forever in the grand scheme of things, it's actually not that long. I'm excited to talk to you about a new company that I learned about in the last month or so called Somavedic Technologies. I'm just calling it Somavedic because it's in my home, it's in my kitchen, and what this is, try to picture this, a round, beautiful, mine is green, they've got other colors, red, blue, even this stunning gold, and it's inside of it, it has precious and semi-precious stones and minerals, but you plug it in the wall, and so it has this beautiful glow, and it's a sphere that creates a 360-degree coherent field with a radius of 100 feet, and that's in all directions. And this helps the body to better deal with EMFs, geopathic zones, and a lot of other things. And the thing I love about this is that, besides that it's beautiful, and I'll be honest, I've had mine going for a couple of weeks in my house, I don't know. I do feel, I don't, I've just been feeling really good. I think this would also be a great thing to put in a workspace. 
And this is all, you know, created because the founder, Ivan, was having his own health issues and he was trying Western medicine and he wasn't having all the success he was looking for. So he turned to traditional Chinese medicine and focused on a variety of healing properties. Um, and some of that involved precious and semi-precious stones. And this was the inspiration for Soma Vedic. And it is a true combination of this sort of ancient medicine and technology. It looks beautiful, you feel great, and they have a great offer for you today, and they have a 60-day money-back guarantee. So if you're not getting the experience of like improved sleep, even more energy, productivity, um, you know, you can try that and get that from Soma Vedic. And if you're not experiencing that, they will give you back all of your money if you get back to them in 60 days. Soma Vedic also structures water. So this leads to better absorption of water, therefore we're more hydrated, so important. They're located in Prague and San Francisco and their devices are all over the globe. So you can really feel, like my sleep, I've been feeling at energy levels, focus. So if you wanna give it a go, head to www.somavedic.com that's S-O-M-A-V-E-D-I-C dot com. And if you want to save 10% on your purchase, just go ahead and punch in the code Gabby, G-A-B-B-Y. Do you think it worked out for you that way because you figured out a way, and I, and I want to back into the amount of responsibility and growing up that occurred in those 11 years uh, because somehow you managed to figure out how that wouldn't have happened had you not figured out the way to follow your own path. And, and yes, big wave surfing was getting popular and then prone big wave surfing and things like that. But in a way, maybe weirdly, it was almost better that the other type of surfing didn't bring you in and you weren't winning. Yeah. I mean, it, it just shaped me. It really did because, you know, and you fast forward to that world title, all that, like I'm back to competing in those small waves and I figured out, you know, the, the way of loss being a learning experience, figuring out how to better yourself. You know, me competing in small waves betters me as a human. It betters me as, you know, taking, whether it's a win or a loss, there's so much I can take away from surfing small waves because I'm still learning and I'm enjoying the process of learning in life when you're younger, you, you don't like learning unless you're passionate about that. And I wasn't passionate about it because I didn't understand loss. I didn't understand that. And as I grew, as my recognition came with big waves, you know, I was getting into events, winning events, everything, sponsorships, all that. You, I became to start to be really particular in, in what I did and where I did it. And that was, you know, for me, it was like, okay, this is, I need to focus on really the things that I'm not good at in life. And, and if I can get them up to par with what I'm good at, like I, I felt like I could, I could position myself with anyone in any conditions and I could, I could beat them. And where, where did you get that? Cause that, that usually takes time. Did, did you see somebody that was doing that or was that something just innate? Well, I think my my like in my teenage years, the loss of my brother really started to catch up to me because of what comes with being a teenager, especially on Maui, drugs, mm -hmm. alcohol, girls, education. My grand 
my grandfather graduated and went on to Harvard. He's one of the founders of Boys and Girls Club of America. Like, my family is so education, strong, college, this, that. And it wasn't even an option, let alone, like, even a thought for me growing up. Like, mm-hmm. it just wasn't. And I was looked at um, differently from a lot of my family. And I think that was something that even motivated me even more to go towards this, to like just do what I love. Because I felt like so many people in my family were doing things out of expectations. You know, well, what is he going to think? What are they going to think? And for me, it was like, you know, a lot of people didn't, you know, there's my brother was doing a lot of things that people didn't think were right growing up. And Mm -hmm. a lot of them he shouldn't have been doing. But a lot of the things I just... I supported so much because I just seen how much joy it gave to him, mm-hmm. you know, surfing the way he wanted to surf, surfing competition, just like as a firecracker. And growing up, I kind of seen that with, with other athletes, not surfers, people right. like Kobe Bryant, like for example, you know, there's people out there who really motivated me. People, you know, there's a lot of people out there who've, whether it's their mom, dad, they've had losses, they've had issues, and they f- when they find that thing, whether it's on a court, on a field, in the ocean, they they like it when they're really passionate about it. It kind of mm-hmm. becomes their obsession, and when you see that like that transition from fame, you know, whatever it is, you know, support. When you see that like the passion people have for what they do. It's um, it's unstoppable. Right. It really is. What so? What role? I mean, your mom's already. I can't. I. I. You know, your mom was a single mom, hardworking yes. person. It didn't feel like anything came overly easy for her to her way. Mm-hmm. And then dealing with the loss of your brother. What role does she? Is it that she just gives you the freedom? to sort of like how does she manage that kind of spirit I think what she did was she really groomed me and it's like I I live by this even now more than ever is like to really celebrate small victories in life because the big ones weren't coming for me but like if you can dissect those small ones and be really appreciative of them when you get to a big one you're gonna you're gonna have a different appreciation because of how you got there, not where and, you know, what got you there. It's, it's how. It's all about how it happens. And she really, she pushed that on me. It's like, you know, it's not about winning nationals or winning the junior, world junior title. It's just about being present, being honest, and, and just sharing it with the people around you. You know, mm-hmm. I had a tight circle, and I had amazing support growing up, and mostly from people not in my family, from my brother's friends. I had all these uncles that were like, they were just on my shoulders everywhere I went, and I just felt really safe. I felt I felt better in the ocean than on the land as a kid. I just yeah. felt like there was less trouble. There was less people judging me, and I just, I, it was kind of like my getaway, and my mom, out of everyone in my entire life, my mom really pushed that towards me. It was like, yeah, homework this, homework that, but it was more go where you feel good. Mm. Do what makes you feel, you know. 
And for, for her to do that, it, and it's also scary because I don't care what anyone tells me. You know, yeah. like if you have a kid that wants to do that, you're like, yeah, great, but it's still scary. Yeah. So 16 is, you know, probably it feels like one of the beginnings. Mm-hmm. And then how old were you when you met Tahiti? Just out of curiosity. Um, I was 21. Actually, so this is funny. When I was 16... Oh, come on. I went to my best friend's wedding. My friend got married way too young. What do you mean? How old was your friend? Actually, they're still together, so I'm not not way too young. Sorry about that. Um, At the time, it felt young. Yeah, it felt young. How old were they, 18? They were 18 and 19. And this is, you know, my best friend, the chaperone, my brother Eric's son. Like, or my, not, sorry, the chaperone to my brother Eric. It was his child crew. Surat, he was getting married mm. to Tahiti's best friend. I've never met this girl. I've never seen her. I'm at my friend's wedding. I'm 16 years old, dancing, drunk, whatever, yeah. mm-hmm. complete low mess of a kid. Yeah. And I tried to dance with my now wife, and she just looked at me and laughed at me and like walked away. And I was like, I kept asking my friend's wife for years after, like, what's up with that girl, Tahiti? What's up with that girl, Tahiti? And she's like, yeah, sorry, like, you're way too much for her like no chance no chance and fast forward a few years later I was coming back from um, an event in Mexico my friend had called me and said hey my wife is in LA with her friend Tahiti and they want to go out in Hollywood and stay at Roosevelt and do what people in Hawaii don't really get to do right because she's from Oahu right yeah we're all from Hawaii and when I was 21 years old, 2021, 20, I started going to Hollywood and Vegas when I was probably 16, 17. I was so far ahead of all of my friends mm-hmm. because of growing up under my brothers being 10 years older than me. Yeah. I was living in that life of just partying and having fun and yada, yada, yada. Did you connect? I'm just curious in your frame of mind as a young athlete and this lifestyle, did you see, did you ever feel like, oh, this might be a conflict at some point? Or were you just sort of just being a carefree kid and having fun? I was being a carefree kid having fun. At this point, Mm -hmm. surfing was was what I loved to do, but it wasn't what was paying me. There was no income. There was just, uh, Mm -hmm. just a real deep love for it. And I was enjoying myself probably a little bit too much at this point. Um, Just caught up in the scene. You know, you're at that age of being able to hang out with these people. I knew, you know, famous people, whatever. And just um, literally being in like that Hollywood bubble. And they came out. I took them out. And I took her on a... I was like, hey, I want to take you out to dinner. Like, I got you... I got you and your friend this big room at the Roosevelt. I'm going to take you out to these clubs, yada, yada, yada. We're going to have a great time. But I want to take you out to dinner. I want to talk to you and ask you some things. And I, we end up getting a taxi, going out, eating sushi in Hollywood. And we walked back. And it was like a three-mile walk. Mm-hmm. And when she, I said, hey, let's walk back. And she's like, it's so far. And I was like, yeah, well, I got to, I mean, we got, what's, yeah. we have no time limit right now. And when we walked back that three miles is funny. That's a, like our first real initial time hanging out. I just learned so much about a girl that I'd never encountered in my life. You know, I'd been with plenty of girls. I'd been in a a pretty serious relationship prior to that. And it was just another situation where I wanted to come back and learn more. And it was like a walk that never ended. And, um, and Petiti was also a kind of, I mean, 
she was a woman. She had <laughs> she was res- a woman and she was a mother. She had responsibilities. And this was something like not saying I was ever disrespectful to girls, but it was something where at the end of that walk, I remember take like her going into the hotel and me saying bye. I just was like, okay, this is different. You know, this isn't just like a, hey, yeah, hang out, party, whatever, hook up, see you in a couple years. This was like, this woman, that girl who I just made that walk with, who I like am like seriously like attracted to is a mom. Like, how is this? This is so not normal for me. It really wasn't. And uh, I had friends, I had people like, you're crazy, yada, yada, yada. Wait, how old were the boys? They were young. They were really young. Yeah. Um, like three and one and a half. Yeah. Like really young. And then it became like we started kind of slowly hanging out and then really hanging out. And then the kids really got into the picture. And when the kids got into the picture, it was when I, I really just had to like look myself in the mirror. And it was probably... It was probably the first time in my entire life that I was 100% honest with myself. I'd been not saying that I was a liar or that I lived a lie. It was just like, hey, you want to be a man? This is the time. Like, you can't drag this woman along. You can't mess with these kids. And at this point, these kids are like, you know, they're, they're really attracted to me being in their life you know it was it was a different life for them these this family grew up in in Honolulu which is similar to LA and all of a sudden they're you know on the north shore with my mom who is who was the greatest you know mother I've ever witnessed and let alone grandma like she was loving on these kids and you know they had that from their real grandmothers but to see like somebody like that and just the lifestyle change the ocean the freedom, the just ah, go nuts yeah. is different. My my home and my upbringing was very different. You know, the hospitality, the open door, the 10 kids sleeping over on school nights, that's normal. That was never not normal. Four of my friends sleeping over when I'm gone on Maui at my dad's house, that was normal yeah. in my house. And most people nowadays, it's like, you ask a mom that and they'd be like, are you crazy? Hell no. You right. Know? And did your mom, do you think she was like, whoa, Billy's getting in over her head. Was there ever a talking to like, Hey son, like this is, this is, I remember I mean, cause that's Billy. Listen, that's young. It is. <laughs> I think my mom seeing what happened to my brother, you know, my brother is 18 years old when he passed away mm-hmm. and he was, light years ahead of where I was when I was 18 but I think her seeing my attraction to to surfing in big waves and then this this woman coming into my life she seen not hope but she seen just just stars aligning like she really did she seen like the safety of her child propelling forward in life rather than kind of being stagnant and I not saying that I was stagnant, but I just, I didn't really have much going on. And the motivation that Tahiti brought to my life, that these kids brought to my life, like, you know, not to mention, you know, who her family was. Like, it it was hard for me to be like, oh, what do you do? Oh, I surf. (laughs) 
Yeah, oh, no you, family takes that good. No, I can you, remember you I brought, surf? Like, I brought how do you get paid to surf? And they're like, what do you mean you surf? It's like, yeah. And then, her, you know, her <laughs> yes. brother's the first Asian to ever win a Grammy in history that year. I'm, like, meeting her. It was, a, it was such a, like, culture shock. Like, who's this guy you're dating? Like, what? And then he's younger than you. Oh, you have two kids. Like, it was just... Everything was so not normal that it, I almost thrived, kind of like being a kid again and not being comfortable. Like, not that I had to prove people wrong, but figuring out that Billy under pressure, Billy against the wall, was where, where I did my best. And that was like, an, I, it started to become a habit of mine of like, aha, like I'm back here again. This mm-hmm. is where I, this is, where I, I'm, Perfect. Okay, but let me ask you something, because now, and we'll get back into it, you have four sons. The two of you have two more sons. You, you, you know, there is sort of consistency in all these things that occur when you have family. Where do you find, besides injuries, where do you find the opportunity to not create being behind in order to feel good? Because you'll see that a lot of patterns with people, right? Um, I know... Uh, and I really appreciate this, that you sort, you said over a year ago, you looked and you sort of thought, well, alcohol wasn't really serving the bigger story that if you got into a row or something with somebody or, or Tahiti or something that you sort of looked at and was like, oh, maybe that, that seems to be a common thing showing up. Where do you find it from? Because I'm always, I'm like genuinely curious. How do we find the extra energy, the superhero energy from a place of peace and steadiness especially when we're not accustomed to it yeah you know for me it's like seeing so many people dwell on the past and not saying that my mom did but just watching the person that you love most like cry every single day of your life it just like I had to do something different than what my mom did because I did that. Like I, I was that kid like who cried and is it, it like it tore me up and watching it happen to my mom. I was like, okay, there's gotta be, there's gotta be something that I can figure, like I can do differently here because that's not going to take me anywhere. And to be able to use things, whether it's following someone's footsteps and going and taking it farther or using, for me, I've kind of used a way to put into perspective is like all these losses and whatever these little personal battles that I was dealing with were kind of like a roadmap. Like, hey, I got through that one. Let me just use that same that same route and go through this one. And then all of a sudden, you kind of feel like you're playing hopscotch, like literally just hopping through and they're they're making you go faster. They're making you feel better because all of a sudden you feel like, you know, when I'm showing up to compete, I'm showing up with my brother's last name on my shoulders. I'm doing it not only for myself, I'm doing it for him. And I just felt like it was a way of giving back to the people who I didn't let down, but the people who I felt like I wanted to pay back, but I had nothing to pay them with. Mm-hmm. And this was something that really... I felt healed my mom and seeing, you know, I was, I did it all. I 
did drugs, I drank, I partied, I enjoyed myself too much, I burnt bridges, I did everything I shouldn't have done. And doing that at such, such a young age, meeting this woman who had two children and came from a very successful family, like it was just, everything was different, everything. And it made it for me to where I was able to kind of just really shine in times where like I think a lot of the people around me would hide. I just, I, I felt like it, it almost, I just almost felt like I was literally put here to do this. Like I literally was like, mm-hmm. hey, you know, it's not about me right now. It's about the people. It's about my mom. It's about this. And my mom became really, really like not a tool, but like just, I felt like my, I did everything around her. What, it, what happens, I've talked to some friends of mine about this. Sometimes when you are a, a fixer and, or you're put into the position very young, eight years old, to fix it for other people. And in fact, Tahiti said this about you. She said that you can be having, because you're, I mean, obviously to do what you do, you're an intense person, but you're an intense person. And you're also like, there's a passion to you, right? You're not passive about things. You have definitive feelings and opinions about things. But Titi said that you can be in your under your own stress, like under it, dealing with it. But if somebody calls you with a problem, it's almost like you snap out of your problems and you go right into helping them with with your with theirs. And I was talking to a friend of mine, and he said that very early he would do that for his mom and for the people around them, solving problems and and sort of not pushing off, but just clicking off theirs. So. It's an interesting thing when you're a, you're a performer, you're an athlete, it has to be about you, right? It has to be about your food and your training and you got to travel and there's these things. And simultaneously, you're making so much about everyone else, about the boys, about Tahiti, when your mom was here, about your mom. How has that been to, to manage that? How do you... Because that's a lot for a young person early to to fix it or make people feel better. Yeah. You know, I think most important, like in the last few years in my life, more importantly, just learning so much from my mom, you know, watching, watching her like, you know, deal with literally like things like paying her taxes and everything, this, that, that she's barely scraping by. And then, you know, somebody needed a ride from the airport or this and that she would call in sick to work and go pick up somebody or just like the simplest little things and as you start as I was growing up and and you know there was a lot of friends really close friends who I had lost like best friends from drugs most importantly Mm -hmm. and seeing that happen um I just you know there's I have, you know, we all have limited time here. And I just think that right now, like, I'm pretty, I'm comfortable and confident with where I'm at. I know where my family's at. And I know that, you know, we don't, we don't get that much. I I mean, I know it as good as anyone, like opportunity, it doesn't come often. 
And when you have that chance, like if you don't capitalize things, especially with what we do in mother nature, you know, Mm -hmm. when that situation presents itself, if you don't overcome, you'll probably never, ever see that. You'll never see that wave again because waves are never the same. And I started to realize that with friends and family of, you know, when those opportunities arise, it's kind of like that big set wave you've been waiting for your whole life in a different way. It was a ride that was more rewarding than anything. Right. And Tahiti, my wife's like almost yells at me at times for putting so much effort into other people. But at the same time, it's like, it's more rewarding than anything in the world. It's like the, the feeling of, of giving back is now starting to reward me more than accepting, you know, the big checks, the big trophies, all that stuff is great. You know, I, I love it. I'll chase it for a long time. I'm far from over with it, but the feeling of, of mental, like mental and physical payback of, of just human nature Mm. is something that's a lot different than anything else in life that I've encountered. And I've, uh, I feel, you know, it's one of those things where probably just put on earth for certain things and certain people. And I, I don't feel like it's my job or my duty or role, but I, I feel like in certain situations in life, I, I truly, I belong there because I have so much to give so much to, to show and and share of what I've went through Mm -hmm. and using, you know, these things as, as motivation, as inspiration to get through things, you know, as dark as it will be, there's always a way. There really is. So speaking of time is is short, last year before COVID, you were in uh, certainly the worst accident you've ever been in. And you were all the way in Morocco. And they don't have good care. And they didn't actually know what was going on. They had no sense. They hadn't even really taken an MRI, right? They had X-rays. Is that my, is this right? Yeah. They Do had, we have that? We have the X-ray, and it, it okay, looks but they had like a, a flip phone from two thousand and two right. took it. So you're there, and um, and I thought it was kind of interesting because Nazare was mm-hmm. going off, and you chose to be in Morocco because you thought that was going to be a better experience for riding, Mm -hmm. which already says to me a lot. I think it's so hard. People don't realize the pressure that athletes, especially lifestyle athletes are under to get to be there, to have their picture taken, to be a part of that story, whatever that story is at that moment. So I I can appreciate too watching that it happens to a lot of people that I feel genuinely love what they do. The minute that they get a good job, like a world championship, maybe two or three. I saw it with Laird differently. They start to move towards their own desires even more Mm -hmm. to the reasons, their own reasons. This is what I want to do. This is how I want to experience this. This is where I want to ride. And um, it's just an interesting phenomenon that we have to sort of be in the system. The system has to say to us, hey, Billy, good job. You're the winner. This year, you're number one. And that almost is like a freedom if you're built that way to start to like go, well, what do I want to do? What story am I telling? Um, and I think it, that's a really important thing because that's, that's very difficult to do as an athlete. Cause we feel like, you know, you feel like you have to play by certain rules and, and things. So you're off in Morocco, you're with a handful of friends. Take me through what happens. 
I think, you know, the, the first thing you said of just doing what I want to do, that trip really was because there was the first ever towing event at Nazare going on. And the World Surf League had hit me up and they're like, hey, we want to invite you, this and that. And it wasn't about the money. It just, it was about, you know, what I like doing. And I was like, hey, you guys, I honestly just don't have any, I'm not passionate about that. Like, it's not who I am. And it's not truly what I want to do. And I said, hey, I'm going to go down to Northern Africa, to Morocco. Would you guys like to, you know, is I'm not going for your event, but do you guys want to document this trip? And they were like, yeah, this is so unique and different. Like, let's do it. And it was something new. WSL hadn't done anything similar to this. And they're like, yeah, great, let's go. And, um, you know, we went down there and we, you know, documented and surfed some of, you know, the best days of surfing in my lifetime. Were the waves 80 feet? No, they weren't. But the waves were, you know, from the 8 to 20 foot range and unbelievable conditions alone in the middle of the desert surfing, you know, world-class waves with just your friends, no contest jerseys on, nobody watching on the beach, just literally riding waves and doing like, you know, surfing how I want to surf, not surfing how other people want me to or where they want me to. And, you know, that trip was probably one of the best trips I've ever been on. And literally last day of the trip, last wave of the trip, um, as bad as, you know, I mean, <laughs> yeah, everything just turned upside down. I didn't fall on the biggest, scariest wave of my life. I didn't fall in a way I haven't fallen before. I just fell in the wrong place at the wrong time. And I let, ended up on a, hitting a rock on the right side of my body, which uh, collapsed my lung, broke my pelvis in half, and just destroyed my knee, ACL, MCL, meniscus. And with the medical system there and, and the situation that I was in, it was... Um, it was pretty life-threatening. They had to fly in some doctors from Amsterdam and assess me and basically, you know, clear clarify the state I was in, how stable I was, you know, were his lungs able to fly to America? Do we need to take him to France? And during that time, you know, Laird was down in at Nazare because this was, you know, one of the biggest swells ever going through the Atlantic Ocean. Um, he was down there with his crew and I don't even I don't really remember much of those four days I was there it was the pain kind of was blacking me out I just remember being put in a contact with you or Laird and him being in in similar situations in his lifetime like mm -hmm. I'm sure he felt that same feeling I feel in situations of when it's not friends calling for help. It's when you feel a duty to give and to open up. And basically with, you know, my family, your family, a handful of really good doctors and the World Surf League. Yeah. I mean, Eric Logan and Dirk Ziff, they, I give them a lot of credit because you had to, it was like you had to first be flown to make sure that you were safe enough to be flown all the way back to California. Where'd you go first? France or Bordeaux. right. So you first had to go there. Then and Greenland. so 
then Greenland, and then, then Canada. Then Canada. And then let's just stop in Canada and say that we're going to shut all U.S. borders because COVID-19 is jumping through the roof on February 29th, 2020. And, uh, yeah, you're not welcome in America, and you're sitting on a stretcher in a private plane with two doctors who don't speak English mm-hmm. in the middle of... I don't even know what airport in Canada is at. I still don't know. Like, I have no... I just know there's snow everywhere. I'm strapped to a... I'm... To be completely honest, I still haven't showered. I've slept in my own shit for like three or four days. And all I can think about is my children and my wife. Like all the the only thought of survival was kids and wife. And I'm just like, what is going on here? And are you like, most of us don't get in, even when you're in athletics, you think, oh, I broke something. I did this. This is life and death. This is... This is not, oh, my knee. This is, am I going to survive this? And I know that you had to be sedated because of the pain, and you're sort of in this limbo for four days. What's, what are you telling yourself? I know you're thinking about the family, but is there something else? Like, what's happening? You know, um, it was hard. Like, it was, it was one of the deepest holes I've ever dug let's say that like it was it was a situation where I've never had to go to what my mom had went through in life to get through like I really really did and I had never been close to anyone who had fought or had been diagnosed with cancer right and my mom three years prior to this had passed from cancer and knowing what she had done, who she had raised, and how she had made it through life, it was, I literally can remember thinking to myself, I'm breathing, and I'm going to keep breathing if I want to. My mom gave everything to keep breathing and couldn't. Like this, I'm 100% capable of this. Like that was where I was like, oh... I got nothing to cry about. Like, it's time to sack up and utilize what you've what you've grown up learning and processing of loss and hard times as this roadmap to push through and to, you know, just really enter the power and strength of my mom's fight. Mm-hmm. You know, I've seen some... I've seen it firsthand. And it was... It was just a a battle that is, um, it's, it's so heavy and hard to explain. And it was, it really, it pushed me, you know, it pushed me home. It really did. It got me home and it propelled me through to get me here today. And I just think that, you know, it, I'm not saying that people, who haven't went through what I've went through or lost their mom or their dad can't get through something like that. Not mm-hmm. at all. Like, you know, I, I was going to make it, you know, I, I was in great hands and, you know, with people like Dirk and Eric, mm-hmm. you know, they really stepped up and I felt like, you know, now these people are key players of my life. You know, they're not, they're not like people I work for. Right. They're not people that I, owe anything to these are just literally humans that 
I will revolve around my whole life because of the strength and because of who they are, not because of what they do and right. you know where they are in life or what they own or what they have. It's just, it's a relationship in a bond that we created, not me, that a group of people, yourself, your husband, my wife, my children, my doctors, we created this thing that really, it gave me so much support where I was like looking around and like, whoa, these people really have my back. It's easy for me to talk about and want to share with you Laird Superfood and our products that we have because it's something that started in my kitchen with my husband, Laird Hamilton, about six years ago. It started with our organic coffees and creamers. They're vegan. We've got turmeric flavored, original unsweetened if you're trying to avoid sugars, cacao if you're like me and I want that chocolate. We've got Peruvian coffee. It's organic, high altitude, low acidic, but we've also expanded our line. We've got things like greens, hydrate products, and something I'm really excited about that's new a rest and renew product for those of you like me who have a hard time sleeping or we've got an immune boosting uh, product that you can just put in your water very easy to just take on the go all the ingredients you can read they make sense and we've got a great offer for you today all you have to do at checkout is punch in gabby g-a-b-b-y 2021 all one word and you'll save 20 percent at lairdsuperfood.com so you get you do get back to California. You have one surgery to deal with your pelvis. Then weeks later, once you're good, that's good enough. You have to get your knee done, and and so there's it's, this is a process. People have to realize it's not like oh you're back and everything. You know you can heal. This takes a lot of work, and um, you spend a lot of time away from your family because you'd have to come to California. The family would be in Hawaii. You would fly back to Hawaii to be with the family. But a lot of the rehab and the doctors and things were in California. And as somebody from the outside, uh, your ability to two and three and four things each day, because this was also you saying, well, if I'm going to be away from my family, then I'm going to use every minute productively. And also I'm going to, it's my health, it's my job, it's everything. I'm curious because I didn't see it that often. Maybe I don't actually, I can't actually recall seeing it where you had pity parties you, could, you might say, hey, it's tough, but the ability to keep that attitude, that fight, and again, I know it's your job and I know it's your family, but to do this when you're not getting ready only, I didn't, I didn't actually, when I saw you right away, and it wasn't pretty, by the way, um, I wasn't thinking, oh, I wonder if Billy's going to walk again. That all is part, it seemed fine. Yeah. It was, no, what you actually have to be ready for is incredibly physically demanding and very dangerous. So it's not even like, hey, I want to walk. I want to play with my kids. It's the, this whole other side. I was always fascinated by the relentless attitude during the recovery because there were sort of like many recoveries. Yeah. There was recovery from first surgeries and second surgeries and from this and this setback. You know, there's a lot of people who go through these things, whether they're athletes or not. They recover from a, from a surgery or an injury or something. Where do you get that? You know, it's um, the opportunity in life to really learn, like to really educate yourself. It's not often that you're very like passionate about that subject. And for me, 
you know, over, I think one of the reasons why I've obviously my life has not reconnected, but came a lot closer with Laird again in the recent years is because of what he does, what, you know, what his lifestyle is. And that's health, fitness, and just really getting yourself to feel really good and be ready. And I, in this situation, in this time of like feeling the worst I've ever felt by far, like I never in my life have I been here ever. I've never sat in a wheelchair, nothing. And I'm like looking around me and it, it took a little bit to get the, the wheels rolling, but just the opportunities and the knowledge was like, I mean, I seen it in school growing up. Those kids were so excited to be at school and so excited to get a hundred percent on their test. Like I was, I, I was always confused. Like why, how, like, how are you getting a hundred percent on your SATs? Like mm-hmm. who gives a shit about this? Right. Like, I don't, I'll fill these out with my eyes blindfolded. And this was a situation where, you know, you're getting people, all different pe- kinds of people and techniques and doctors and scientists and coaches. It was, I just, I found myself living in the moment, not in time and just learning. And every day I showed up to learn, I was excited. I found a way to be excited and be interested in everything I did. And when you, I was, I don't know really how it happened. You know, you mentioned a couple years ago, looking at who I am and alcohol, not really drugs and alcohol, not really showing any purpose or creating anything positive in my life or my lifestyle. You know, why is it on the table if it, if there's nothing good coming out of it? I mean, I feel better without it. So let's just, you know, move that off the shelf. And I think that all happening the year before and coming into this, like, this opportunity, COVID-19 is happening. If I wasn't hurt, I would have been at a standstill anyway with my career, with no competition, with nothing. Mm-hmm. I kind of, like, I look at it now and I had the best opportunity out of any athlete in the world at my time and place. Like, literally, 30 years old, four kids, a wife, and in a pretty big transition time period as well as my endorsement side of things of sponsorship and everything like a big deal about to happen but then oh this kid might not surf again uh oh like i was hiding my you know there was a lot of it was pulled back of social media i was like trying to not fool people but like there's so much going on yeah you don't want to show weakness no no and i didn't want to show that this was going to be the downfall or the ending or just like the expectations I'm sure from majority of the people who know me or know surfing were like, Oh man, like he, he did really well. He won a world title. He won four jaws events. Like, you know, that, this, that, that That was great. That was great. He's going to be remembered forever. You know, one more jaws events than anyone, this, that I was, I thought that was all cool. Like, good. I'm glad you guys are thinking that and I'm here in California with a handful of different people who are willing to open up everything for me everything and 
it wasn't that I felt that they would be let down if I didn't give them my 100%. It was like, these people to me are the most knowledgeable people in the entire world. I want to learn everything. I want to know every mistake they made. I want to know every good decision, bad decision. I just wanted to learn the ins and outs. Whether it was who and what Laird Hamilton does or... And Dr. G or whatever you got Exactly. Going. Who, yeah. like, you know, these people have worked on people who have been paralyzed, people who have broken back, everything. I wanted to learn what fascia, what ligament, what swelling, inflammation, right. range. I just wanted to know it all because as I was gaining more and learning more, I started to have people kind of starting to reach out, asking questions. The more people asked, the more I wanted to go, the more people yeah. were coming to me, the f- harder I was going to train, the heart. It just really started this like this train of success of just like, like all of a sudden there was no stop signs. At the beginning I was hitting speed bumps. I was hitting stop signs. I was, yeah. I felt like I was losing a lot. I really was. And, you know, back to the small victories of, you know, when I hit that turbulence of being like, ah, oh, shake it off. And, you know, Hey, I, I was able to walk 10 steps in the pool without touching a wall or without stumbling, you know, or, Hey, I'm, you know, <laughs> what do you tell yourself though, when you're scared? Cause athletes, I, I, but I don't just liken it to athletes. It's just, unfortunately their livelihood hangs on it. It's scary when you go, I don't know. And I'll be honest watching you. I, I thought, Oh, this guy's going to grind it out. He'll get there. It felt like that. That's what it looked like close up, but from the outside. But I wonder when you're at the bottom of the pool, just trying to walk and, you know, you got to walk her up to the side of the pool, by the way, and then get in the pool. It's scary. And you have four sons and you got a wife and it's all on you. Yeah. You know, I think what I've discovered is that, Fear is just, it's temporary. You know, it's something that I've learned when I can turn that into adrenaline. Like there's that fine line of those last few decisions. You have like two or three left in you at the very end of that pinch. Those decisions are my best decisions in life. They have been. I've since I was eight years old. And I learned that through my upbringing, through loss, through victory. Those decisions and fear have became my strength. And that is where this injury, this road to recovery, really, I felt like I was able to separate myself and just find just find something that, you know, I'm sure other people out there have it, for sure. Of course. But it's like, I was able to find it in me and and identify it and be like, holy shit, everything I do in life is best at fear. Or like, there's always f- this moment of fear involved. And that right, like that, that last decision is my best decision. And that's where. But maybe it looks like you lean into it a little bit too, Billy. I think, you know, there's a lot of information about when we're afraid to to be like, yeah, I'm afraid. Yeah. And not to hide from it no. or not to avoid it, but to be like, this is, this is fucking scary. It is. And you know, with, you know, 
drinking, partying at a young age, I could find so many, so many left turns or right turns to get around it. Mm-hmm. And now in life, I love when problems face me. I love situations because I like unfolding them. I like figuring out a map to get through them. Like problems and issues in life are things I look for because I feel like I can learn and I can gain from it. And that's where this was like, oh, great. Some more problems. Bring them on. You know, I don't have anything to to run from or hide from. I'm completely honest and present in my family's life and in my life right Mm -hmm. now. Like, these are all these are all pros. There's no cons in this situation. Like I'm all I'm going forward. Every day those losses were like the best losses of my life, you know. Losing a couple degrees of range of motion, right. those were good things. Like they were, you know, like getting in the water too early after getting my stitches removed and little and little things, you know, the smallest victory like losses became victories down the road because I was able to you know, kind of use them as an understanding of like, oh, as soon as I get scared or get into this situation where fear is involved, I know something good's about to happen. The breakthrough. The breakthrough. So speaking of that, you're, I'm, I'm feeling like it happened at Dr. G's. I just don't know why, but I'll, you'll tell me. Because we say, I'm going to come back. I'm going to do this. First, you're like, I'm alive. But like, let's be clear, the order of things. I'm alive. Oh, okay. This is hierarchy of importance. Then it starts to hone in towards like, okay, I want to surf again. Da 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 da. Okay. Where? When was there a moment during your recovery where you're like, huh? You know what? I will be. I'm. I, I'm gonna. I'm. I can see the other side. I can. I can stand in my feet and move my legs in a way that I feel comfortable enough that. Not only do I believe it in my gut, but now I'm actually believing it in my analytical mind that like I'm going to be able to surf. Like I I can I can see that. Yeah. You know, I think um the as far as like a defined moment, I do I remember you know, I remember going home the first time after being injured. I hadn't went home. When did I get here? I got here the very ending of February. I had a surgery the very beginning of March, then March 17th. And then I went home on April 1st. And I remember going home and my kids just doing everything for me, like everything. And, you know, I at home try to take on a role as like, not a mother and a father, but like, you know, my mom cooked for everyone. No, you're on it. I I see you. You're, you, you're on it. And just try to, you know, I'm gone a lot. So when I'm there, I try to be extra there, you know, four limbs all at all times, you know, even if I got to use my teeth at times. (laughs) Um, I just think that going home and having my kids see the state that I was in and, them being like, are you, when are you going to walk? Like, when are you going to walk again? Not like, are you going to surf? Like they were like, oh, you know, kind of hearing them and seeing my little guys, like really, I don't say they had doubt in me, but just like they didn't, they didn't see it. 
I don't think. They really didn't. They mm-hmm. just they had never seen me like this and let alone seen anyone in our circle in this state. And that first trip home, as much as it was rewarding, it was so depressing for me. Yeah, I was able to see my friends, I was able to see my family and kind of recharge the batteries, but it 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 put me in a perspective of like I'm gonna be me. And I'm not gonna I'm not I'm not gonna do this for Jaws. I'm not gonna do this to win a contest or to compete on tour or do it for my kids. Like I'm I'm just gonna be back to me. Like I'm gonna get back. I'll be me in, in no time. Like I knew that was the quest and it and part of me, majority of me is is in the ocean. You know, majority of me is what I do on a surfboard. And that was, you know, probably at the top of the priority list of like, hey, there is a lot of work cut out, but how am I going to approach this? You know, am I setting goals or timelines, contests, this, that? And that took a while. It took a while to just kind of roadmap out and figure out, you know, what what do I want to do? Like, let's be honest with myself. Like, do I do I want to go back to competing? Do I want to go back to that lifestyle? And then it's like, you know, after a couple months of training and starting to see some progress, it's like, oh, I'm go- I know exactly where I am. I know exactly where I'm going. And then it became this thing of like, I'm not training to come back. I'm training to be better. Like I, I'm, I have an opportunity I have outlets. I have people that I've never asked for help from that I had to ask. I had to go out of my way. I had to, you know, I had to ask for help. I was I was in the one time in my entire life where I was helpless. Like, I really was. I couldn't do shit. I was depressed. I was just in a place that I hadn't been. And that being said, it, it was just in a time of my life where I was like, okay, I, I don't want to be me. I want to be better than who I was. I have so many things I can learn about over this this next year to better myself and and also just steer my family into a life that I've been trying to get to. Like mm-hmm. this was the time and place for me to to not fix all my wrongs but really 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 utilize all the bad decisions I've made and utilize all the bad relationships to really just focus on what's important and that really was my family and my circle of people and with Mm -hmm. that when you really bite down and focus on that everything else is it just comes with the wind I think sometimes people don't realize that in life we we will a lot of us will occur a knockout punch right like something will happen within a relationship or in your case, you know, maybe it was this accident. I mean, I've had things with Laird. We, we've had situations where literally it was like a knockout punch. And I remember thinking when you kind of come up and you get oriented, sometimes everyday living is like the speed bag. It's like a ticket, 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 and it's just constant. And I realized, I was like, you know what? Sometimes I'd rather get the one knockout punch that jolts us into this next better place, even though it's hard, because the speed bag, it's, it's just there. 
yeah, and, and it, you're 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 enduring it. And it almost, is it alcohol? Is it not communication in your relationship? Is it something that your kids are going through that they're not communicating? But a knockout punch is brutal, but it can catapult you into kind of these better places if you can endure, get over, you know, move on, forget, whatever the things are, change, things like that. And I, I think, you know, you're, you're showing an, a really uh, defined example of this. I want to ask you something as a dad. You know, you have four sons. And um, it's interesting to see people who come out of, you know, I get asked a lot about like, oh, do you want your daughters to be athletes and this and that? And I always say, you know, athletes are interesting and you're in a lifestyle sport, so it's different than ball and stick. And we were talking about that. A lot of times lifestyle athletes, they're connected to their environment as well. So it's like the mountain or the ocean or what have you. A lot of times ball and stick, it was like, yes, We've loved it, but for a lot of people, it was an opportunity. It was a way out. It was an overcompensation, you know, fear. What You know, a lot of things actually that are not positive create great champions, you know. And so now that you have the, your children and you are trying, because this is like for my own curiosity, I'm always interested, like you try to build this life, you try to be peaceful, peaceful in your relationships, in your conduct, hardworking, things like this. When you see your boys, are you like, and you don't have to live vicariously through them, right? You have your own identity. But do you sort of go, oh, I want them to do that? Or um, do you see the kind of the other side of when everything's sort of pretty nice at home? Like, what can occur? Like, I wondered your experience about that as a father. You know, it's such a frequently asked question of like, dear kids surf. Mm -hmm. Like, are they gonna are they are, are they gonna surf big waves? And it's um, you know, I don't really care what they're doing. Right. <laughs> um, for me, it's an you know, it's another thing in life where I feel like I have the opportunity to to give to give something that I didn't have. Um, and it's the, just the fulfillment about being passionate in life, like showing, you know, wearing your emotions on your sleeves, being honest and, you know, finding solutions. And that's what I've really brought to my kids' attention is like, you know, it's not about, it's not about you having to do this or do that. It's like you want to ride a boogie board. You want to go to skateboarding. You want to play basketball. And you want to make music at home on your iPad. Great. Like, are you guys doing that because you love it? Or are you doing it because somebody else is doing it and you think it's cool? Mm. You know, and that's what I've really tried to... It's hard. It's hard. Because, you know, I do what I do so seriously at times and I take life on just like right my kids see that at sometimes they're probably like yeah we never want to be a surfer <laughs> but at the same time to be able to you know to share that with with my kids and at home as far as like the outlook on this whole thing it's just you know it's keeping it organic it's just keeping a family moving mm -hmm. 
without force. You know, you should, I've noticed that forcing things and doing that, you know, the outcome is, it's synthetic. It's not. It's, it's not, so hard to do though, isn't it, Billy? It really is. Like to trust and to be. To trust your instinct <laughs> with children, with family is so hard. But at the same time, I mean, you know it. You're, I mean, uh, I know your daughters and to trust your instinct <laughs> with a child is like, okay. Oh yeah. Breathe, breathe, breathe. It, it's, it's not normal. But at the same time, you know, what they learn on their own is... It's more knowledgeable than what we can physically tell them. And yes. that being said, just to be able to position them in a nice home with, you know, positive parents, yeah. health, you know, that that is everything. And I, I try to really I, I try not to speak for other people or get involved with other people, but just, you know, to lead by example is the best thing we can do and I mean you do it you guys are you know I I look for you guys to answer so it's like oh please don't I know nothing no oh, and on. Uh, come on you've met my daughters who's yeah. telling them anything <laughs> I ha- actually I talked to her I left I left one of them a message today we're talking because she's going her own route and I said you know I realized that we all have a path and sometimes uh, a less maybe traditional path is in the end in the long run you're an example of this. There's a fruitfulness to it, mm-hmm. but it is unknown. It's harder. It can be scarier, and you just have to go through that. And as your parent, I want you to know I understand that. Yeah. So that goes back to your knockout punch. When you're thinking about that, I didn't want to talk over yeah. you, but a speed bag is what you deal with every day, and that's oh. that becomes routine. Routine becomes normal, yeah. and. All of a sudden, you, you get knocked out unconscious and you don't know where you are. That's not normal. And I feel like with Reese right now, she's encountering something that's not normal and she's scared. But with fear, with yeah. with that being said, becomes this... Ex, ex, you start to explore. And when you explore, you find what you're put here for. Yeah. And that's with... You know, being knocked out put me on the best ride of my life. You recover and you go to surf. First wave back. Mind chatter. Because we all have mind chatter, right? The monkey mind. Oh, you can't do that. What are you doing? Who do you think you are? Don't do this. Don't do that. And, you know, all big wave riders will tell you the worst thing you can do is to hesitate number one either going or you're not at least that's my understanding where what are you what are you thinking my first wave back was in Waikiki with my wife Mm -hmm. and the waves were about six inches and by the way Tahiti's not a surfer my wife is terrified (laughs) of the ocean I just think that's important for people it to know. It is. It's like she's surfed. I've Okay, we've been together. We're coming up on 10 years. And I can count on two. Uh, yeah, almost a little more than one hand. Like she's probably surfed seven times in mm-hmm. in 10 years. So this is all of a sudden a complete shock out of its own. And I was like, hey, it's Father's Day. Let's go paddle out. I'm not going to stand up. And um, we're just out there hanging out with her friends. And we get this little wave. 
and I was, like you said, of hesitating. It was as we, like I paddled on this wave, I told her to stand up and I stood up without even thinking. And I remember my feet touching wax, something that is so familiar to me that felt so new. It felt like what, like all of a sudden, you know, I can, it's like you going and gripping sand after being like, like, you know, the first time you got back, like, you know, it's just like, I I hate saying like the word rebirth or like reborn, but it was just like, it was almost like my first real breath of oxygen. Like this is like, it's what I breathe. It's what I do. Mm -hmm. And that was like, holy shit. Like it just, it opened up a different, a different caliber of, of life that I didn't ever experience. I've never fought back from something like this or like physically had to deal with something like this. And that first initial, like the, I mean, the wave was all of six inches, but I just remember what that wave gave me was, it was, it definitely didn't tell me like, Oh, I'm back. Like Billy's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm back. <laughs> but what it did give me was just this feeling of, of being so unfamiliar at something I'm so obsessed with. Mm. I'm addicted to this. Like it, it's, it's not a part of my life. I'm a part of it. Like I'm a part of the ocean. Yeah. I really am. Like I, I'm belong there and feeling this was like, okay. And then, you know, that motivates you to get back and work a little harder and stronger. And then, okay. You're talking to your doctors, you're getting clearance. Am I allowed? Yeah, like, hey, and then you start knocking on the door. Okay, I'm knocking three, four times a day. Like, come on, you guys. Like, I think it's that time. And um, the first surf back was uh, my first, like, real-time riding waves was in freshwater on a man-made wave up in Lemoore. Mm -hmm. Um, Thank you, Eric Logan, Kelly Mm -hmm. Slater, (laughs) Dirk, Graham Stapleberg, you guys all... um, made a wave great for me. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you know what? Obviously, Mother Nature is one thing, but to be able to do it in a controlled environment yeah. by yourself yeah. was just, it was like, it was iconic. It was, it was such a monumental moment for me. Well, not having to worry. Not right? having to worry. Another rider, a ski getting picked up, white water. Yeah. It's like, okay, I can just focus on the one part. And it just felt like those days of paddling out when my friends said no and they weren't paddling out. Like it felt like that moment of fear getting into that that area where you're alone. Yeah. Where it's dark for a second. We're like scared, 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 scared. And then this wave pops up and you ha- that last decision is my best decision. And it's just to keep going forward. And surfing that day... Um, Serving that day, it just really, it put into perspective so much more of like, not the career. Like, yeah, I always try to say this, like, it's not about the career of any of that. It's about riding the waves. Mm. But as much as I say that, like, I'm such a competitive person. Like, it is, for me, it is so much about the wins. It really is. Yeah, like, that's honest, like, though. I, Laird, Laird asked me that. He goes... <laughs> 
why does he need to be the best? That's what he asked me. Yeah. I said, well, if you could ask Kemper anything. He's like, besides your why, which I get that. He's like, why does he need to be the best? Because with, with real love and real passion, there's something called you become territorial. And with that being said, you know, I mean, you p- position me anything in the world. You, as soon as you say go, if it's a contest, like I'm going to go till the end and keep going and keep going until I get on top. And I don't know where that came from in me, but it's, it's there. And I don't know how long it'll be there, hmm. but while it's there, I, I enjoy it. I enjoy the challenge. And, um, it's definitely not about beating him or like, you know, that it's not about beating them. It's, it's about, um, I don't know. I, f- I, I feel like I've been doubted a lot. And I just, the, the feeling of outdoing doubt mm-hmm. and, and just really, you know, finding a way to win that's not normal. Finding a way to win where I'm doing what I love doing is, it, I can't get enough of it. I just really can't. And when it comes to competing at Piahi, there's just something it's different than anywhere in the world. And I think a lot of it has to do with, with, you know, preparation with what it takes to get there. I'm so obsessed on, on what happens leading up to that moment, because I know it's just, I know in myself, I've done it over and over and over. If I do what I'm not supposed to do, if I do more than what's expected, I know if I can sit out there and look around and know that I can outwork anybody in this lineup and I'm that confident mentally, I just, I know that I'm the best. I do. And it's not about beating, you know, red, yellow, green, blue. It's just about me beating myself. It's really about just overcoming that last bit of Billy. And that's where, that's where I just, I... I will make myself the best. What do you think is the biggest misconception about big wave riding? Um, the biggest, you know, I, I, when I was a kid, surfing big waves as being a younger pro surfer or a younger kid wasn't normal. Because surfing big waves wasn't normal for one. You know, if you're going to compete, you go on the CT and you got to be the next Kelly Slater. That's what it was supposed to be. And then you have these random astronauts like Laird and Double D and Dave who are just, they're not normal. You know, and there wasn't contests for them. If there was contests, they probably wouldn't have done them. But it was, it was, it was for, you know, what, what this does for us, what this takes us away from online, what this, what this will do for us, you know, the, on the second chapter of life, this isn't forever. Right. And to be able Have to... Have you told Laird that? <clears throat> just wondering. Well... <laughs> I'm just kidding. He's moved on. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's right. He's only going 45 on his foils He's now. going faster. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Because <laughs> he can't find big where there's it's, no humans. Exactly. But, but I, I think there's something interesting, though, 
that you, people think, oh, these guys aren't afraid. Mm-mm. And, and they're they like, wow, look at them. They're crazy and they don't have fear. And that's actually not the case. No. You, you know, it's, it's fighting fear. And it, it's literally that tipping point of the people who turn fear into adrenaline. It becomes, it's our meditation. It's like, yeah. it, it, I'm not trying to get all like, you know, spiritual, but it, it really is. Like, that's our flow state. That's where we belong. And there's a handful of people on earth that belong in those situations. You know, yeah. what would Kobe Bryant have been doing if he wasn't on a basketball court? They did, you know, we probably wouldn't be alive. Uh, there's a lot of us that wouldn't, and yeah. it saved us. The fear saved our life. You know, being scared and being put in life-threatening situations has saved me, has bettered me, has made me make better decisions, and it's taken me away from all the bullshit online. You know, Billy, I know that you are older by a few years than your brother lived uh, here on this plane. Does it? Do you ever reflect and think, oh, his inspiration has helped me transcend what he was able to accomplish? It's pretty beautiful. Yeah, you know, it's... Um, and that has a lot to do with my mom, too. You know, it's like when you see someone suffer, like, how can I make bad into good? Like, how do I convert it? And I think, I mean, you know it as a mother, I know it as a father now to like, to see happiness in your children. What better reward in the world? You know, that that's, that's the goal of life. Like, I my whole life, it was me, 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 me. And now it's them, them, them. Mm-hmm. And it's I think for me to be, you know, it sucked, like I, you know, to have to deal with what I did at a young age, but it, it, it taught me to, you know, making my mom proud and, and utilizing, you know, certain things for adrenaline and, and fear rather than going down a bad route. Like that was what brought light to my mom's life. Like that's what made her better when she was better I was better when we were better life was better and that's the situation now you know it it, don't get me wrong it still is me 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 but but we all need parts of that right we have to know how to take care of ourselves so we can take care of the other people in our life but I just I'm just bringing to light that a figure that you looked up to that you were inspired by helped propel you beyond where he was able to go and I think that that is a beautiful continuation of that story. Yeah, my brother Carl puts in a, a really good perspective of just like my brother Eric walked in big shoes. He really did. And like I felt like I was playing catch up. Like I just wanted to be him. I wanted to be him. And he left uh, like a legacy, you know, like something not for me to live up to, but just more roots to grab onto. Mm-hmm. You know, I had something to hold on to. I had something to carry with me, whether it was a torch, whether it was pride, love, fear. I had I had something to kind of keep moving me forward and it um you know, it it's yeah, the littlest things. I re- I remember one of the, my last conversations with my brother Eric. 
he told me that he was going to be in the Eddie Ike event and that he was going to run it and that he was going to win it. And I remember getting my first invitation. I have the trophy in my room. I haven't surfed in the event because since they've invited me, it hasn't ran. <laughs> right. But given that invitation, I like it. it like you asked me right now, what's my biggest accomplishment? What's my biggest like achievement in life? And it's that. It's getting that trophy because my childhood, like so much of my life was that just like, it was like an echoing thing. Mm -hmm. And when you lose that person in your life to be able to accomplish, I know, I, I believe that I've accomplished, you know, a lot to make my mom and my brother proud. But that one thing like that, that's it. Like I did that and I, I brought it to him. Like that's as, yeah. as weird as it sounds, like I do feel like that is something and, you know, I'm, I'm very, very proud of it. And, uh, it's been quite a bit of time since then and I still reflect and I still I just admire those times still so much even though it's been so long well I think that I um you know I I would never have wished you know really knowing you through you having to go through such a catastrophic injury but I want you to know that to watch you and I encourage anyone if they want to see your documentary Billy um that is it a six part series? Six part right? series. Is that I don't really care what waves you ride or have ridden. The thing that I really admire, uh, well, there's many things, but to watch you recover from that injury um, was astounding. The attitude, the, the tenacity, the rigor, everything that you approached it, because it was the reminder that. I mean, we're talking serious obstacles, and you just foot by foot, step by step, um, really got after it. And so there are people who they're listening to this, and they have something that they're dealing with, or they have an injury maybe that they think they'll never recover from, and maybe they won't fully. That's the other thing is sometimes we become better in other ways, and in some things we'll always have this thing that just we got to deal with it, but we can still perform, meaning show up in our lives. And... Besides that, beyond that, watching you with your boys, watching you with Tahiti, um, you know, that's the thing about us. The spirit in which you do all those things, yes, allows you to ride very big waves. And that's sexy and it's cool. And people will give you trophies for that. But it's ultimately just who you are. So I really appreciate you, you, you. And, um, and thanks for hanging out with me. Thank you. I think um, it's just cool to see, you know, we we're talking about the other day and it's like when I was a teenager, it was like as much as Laird taught, like I learned so much off of him. It's like, you know, you get into these stages of life where you become really selfish and you're just like F everyone else. You know, this is my territory. This is what I want to do. I'm going to do me, me, me. And as a circle of life, you know, for me, it for sure was my children and my wife, like just poof, turned, like I hopped on a, a whole different boat. Like I, you know, I was driving this dinghy around and now all of a sudden I'm on a big old ship. And, um, yeah. you know, I think with, with where life brought me back around, it's just things happen for a reason. And without, you know, what your family does, like this is, the example of like 
drafting and and you know propelling from people like what you guys have here is what like it is literally what I see like I'm literally it every every day I'm here whether it's we're training eating dinner arguing there's so much to gain and learn from because of what you guys have already done and that's like for me it's like I come here to be ears smart I want to be ears Billy Kemper thank you for your coming in and just uh, showing up in your life in a really inspiring way thank you for inspiring me Thanks so much for listening. And if you'd like, rate, subscribe, and leave us a review. All of my music was graciously done by Frank Zumo and Tom Thacker. If you want to see some of the behind the scenes action, just follow me at Gabby Reese. And remember, don't miss new episodes every Monday. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.